All right, gutter freaks. Uh, we've got a little bit of a special episode for you this week. First things first, go to gutterballs.tv slash support. Get yourself a t-shirt, damn it. We got some designs up there. You know, some Lebowski-related, some Gutterballs-related. You need some juice in the morning. Get yourself a travel mug. You gotta keep your mind limber, and sometimes that requires coffee, not a Caucasian. Hit us up on Twitter, at GutterCast. Facebook.com slash GutterCast. You'll find these are very intuitive links. These URLs are easy. Tumblr, you see what happens, Lebowski.tumblr.com. Leave us a review on iTunes, damn it. But go get yourself a t-shirt. Gutterballs.tv slash support. We're not discussing the minute this week. Instead, we have on our show a very, very special guest. You'll find that Brad and I are way out of our element. Okay, here we go. This is Gutterball. The Lebowski Deepcast. It does kind of remind me of like the line art of Picasso. In each episode, Brad and Adam discuss a single minute of The Big Lebowski. Why don't we keep the whole million? Providing insight. This reminds me of uh, Walmart Bat Horse. Commentary. Don't puff your chest out all hot saucily and conjecture the supreme court has <laughs> roundly rejected prior <laughs> restraint and now Beep. good enough hey brad how you doing man hey adam i'm doing excellent how could you not be i know on a day like today on a day like today the sun is out the leaves are changing at least here it's one of my four favorite seasons of the year. Yeah. And we have a special guest today. Oh, my goodness. A very special guest. The most special of all the guests we've managed <laughs> to wrangle for this show so far. No offense, Spax. No offense, Camilo. But yes, I would agree with you. By far. Oh, yes, because... This is not exactly a lightweight right here, Brad. <laughs> uh, welcome, Jen. Thank you. Thanks for... Oh, oh, you bet. Thanks for humoring us. (laughs) Yes. So here, so we have here today, Jen Ralston, Mm -hmm. who is a writer, director, and sound editor. She was the Foley editor on The Big Lebowski. Do I have that right, Jen? One of the Foley editors, but yes. One of the Foley editors. Yes. Can't take all the glory. Inside (laughs) scoop here, because we, you know, have been going through this minute, this movie minute by minute, picking it apart. Yeah. The details. And we have someone here who worked on so many of the fine details that went into this film. Um, I'm borderline I, speechless. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd also be remiss if I didn't also mention, you know, Jen has worked on so many other films and TV. Uh, you won an Emmy for your work on Generation Kill. Yeah. Um, I was going through your IMDb. You worked on so much stuff and so much stuff that I love, like The Wire. Oh, awesome. Uh, Oh, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Uh-huh. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Angry, Hidden Dragon. <laughs> that's the sequel. Oh, they didn't work the on sequel. the sequel. Yeah, hidden, the, angry. The hidden Angry Inch. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, Brother, We're Out There on The Man Who Wasn't There. Other Coen Brothers films. Mm-hmm. The Man Who Wasn't um, There, another uh, 
noirish Coen Brothers piece. Yeah. Um, and you were Foley editor on those as well? Uh, I was a Foley editor on O Brother, and I was actually the Foley supervisor on The Man Who Wasn't There. Moving up in the world. Oh, yeah. Careful, you might be mistaken for management. <laughs> we wouldn't want that. No, now. we wouldn't. <laughs> um, yeah, the, I'm sorry. I'm going to digress immediately. But The Wire, mm-hmm. they just recently re-released that in HD on Blu-ray. Yeah. Are you going to be able to notice any advantage to that format for your work that mm-hmm. you did on it? I don't think so, no, because from pretty much the beginning... Um, when we were even in discussions about the pilot, they weren't sure if they were going to broadcast it in uh, in a 5.1 format. Dolby E was uh, was just coming out at the time, which is sort of what they were doing for surround sound for television. And they weren't sure if they were going to do that for the broadcast, but they knew they wanted us to treat it as a 5.1 for the DVD releases before it even came out. So we did everything that needed to be done to make it sound the best that it could. Even though I think the first maybe two or three seasons, it, it might not have aired in Dolby E. And 5.1 would be two front channels, two rear channels, a center, mostly for dialogue, and then a subwoofer? Correct. Yeah, the point okay. one is a subwoofer because it's not a directional speaker. So you did all that work, which has to, you know, as opposed to just a stereo production, which I assume The Big Lebowski was? Oh, no, uh-uh. No? 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 That, was, that was a surround as well, yeah. That was a surround. Wow. I want to get into that a little bit later. Okay. But does that, that obviously has to increase your your workload. It does. Um, not not as much as we would like to think, because we would love to, you know, pad some more time and, and money into the budget <laughs> and the schedule. But, um, I mean, it, it certainly takes more time to mix, because you're putting things in more speakers, but, um, you know, if you're prepping something for stereo, you're, you're, you're just as easily prepping it for surround, pretty much. There isn't too much that we want to put in the back speakers because, you know, of course, the goal is to keep the audience looking at the screen. So if you have too much stuff going on in the back, then people are not looking at the screen and turn around to see what the hell that sound is that's behind them. Um, so the things that are in backgrounds are really are in the uh, in the back channels. Is it's really more just like some of the ambiences to kind of fill it out, and make it seem like a more open space, or some of the reverbs. You know, if somebody's yelling in a in a echoey hallway or something, then we might put the reverbs a little bit in the in the back channels to kind of fill it out. And, and the music, of course, will you know spread the music pretty wide. A helicopter comes flying overhead from behind. Maybe you hear that. Yeah, yeah, for for effect. You don't want to go too crazy with it, though, with narrative elements, because it will be distracting. Right, that makes sense. Um, So we have a couple of things to discuss here. We're going to try not to be too thorough, as it were. <laughs> um, You've talked a little bit about what a Foley editor actually does. Can you, just so we have a frame of reference here, we don't want to be like a child who wanders into the middle of a movie and wants to know what's going on. Right. You've discussed a little bit about what a Foley editor does, but tell us a little bit more about that and what they don't do. Okay. Well, Foley is, um, I like to think of it as all of the sound effects that are human scale. So things that can be recreated uh, on a soundstage with one 
quote unquote Foley artist who's sort of like the actor for the sounds. So things like footsteps, cloth rustle, um, for the Big Lebowski, things like the dude making his Caucasians, you know, all the, the ice clinks and the, and the liquid pours. These are props that you can put in a room with one person and a microphone and you can make some sounds and it's not going to be uh, dangerous or harmful or impractical like um, recording uh, a car racing by or a gunshot or an explosion. Those would be regular just sound effects, sound effects. But Foley's are kind of those smaller detail work that is on a human scale. I like how you referred to that. You said hu- human scale. Uh huh. Yeah. So it can be one person. Yeah. You could recreate these things. Yeah. I mean, if you, um, if you want the sound of like a crowd of people, there are some things you can do in Foley. Like if there's a group of people running at the same time, the Foley artist will do several passes of footsteps, but you're really, you're going to, you're going to use that just as an element and and then sound effects are, are probably going to do some more designy things to make an actual crowd um, come alive in that situation. What's an example of a designy thing they might do? Oh boy, a designy thing. Well, well for for instance, for a crowd of people, because in theory, one fully artist could record, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 sets of footsteps. You'd have to edit that together. Right. And then but, you have 20 tracks to, to mix and it gets impractical and you can, you can bounce them down, but you know, it's far easier for uh, a sound recordist to go out into a situation like, you know, finding, finding a setting that's similar to what the scene looks like. If it's, um, you know, I don't know if it's a, a bunch of soldiers marching in unison on, on cobblestones, you know, find find some cobblestones outside and get 20 or 30 friends to just march in unison and record that. You don't need a, a fully artist to do that. You just need kind of a group. You're trying to get the, the dynamics and the weight of a lot of people moving at once. And that's not really a foley. Gotcha. So you did edit some footsteps and footfalls into the big Lebowski. Oh, I, I edited the, uh, the bulk of the series. You could say <laughs> <laughs> what percentage of your work was dedicated to footsteps. Cause what, what I found interesting was you said there were eight channels mm. for footsteps and then eight channels for basically everything else. Yeah. Is that true? I, I believe that was how we, you know, it's so hard to remember, but I think that was the basic format for the work I did at that studio was sort of an eight and eight split. Um, and some mixers prefer things to be split out wider. The thing is that you have to remember with sound is that when you're putting sound on a, on a track and you're saying, you know, track one is the dude's footsteps, that track's only being used when the dude is walking. So, you know, things like maybe the dude and Walter, you might have dedicated tracks of their footsteps, but then the other six channels are, are kind of, you know, set aside for whoever else is walking in the scene. So if, if there happens to be a scene where the dude is walking and seven other people are walking, then all eight channels are being used. But that rarely happens, you know, especially that. I mean, that movie is kind of there aren't a lot of big scenes. There are not a lot of big crowd scenes. And I think the most people you have on, on camera at a time is probably in the bowling alley. And we're not covering footsteps for people in deep background, like the, the out of focus lanes all the way at the end of the the bowling alley. We're not doing footsteps for those people. We're just, you know, sound effects will put in some bowling ball rolls and the, and the pin hits, but we're not going to do every single step that happens because you're never going to hear it. 
Right, and it's in service of the story, and that would kind of take you out of the story. Exactly. Probably. Yeah, we're we're only we're dealing with foreground action, and and there aren't really a lot of people in the foreground in that movie at the same time, moving. <laughs> I think it might have been a year or two ago at this point. It's been a long time now. But Brad, do you remember when we were talking about? And of course, we were talking out of our proverbial asses, but. <laughs> The idea that, you know, if you have one person walking on screen, it's fine, you know? You record the steps, you sync them up, it looks good. Two people, mm-hmm. you still have to kind of, there's two people now, you got to have them be synced. Mm-hmm. Once you get to like three or four people, it might as well be 10 people. Like sync kind of, not goes out the window, but takes no, it does. a it goes lesser out the role. Does it really? <laughs> yeah. What is that number? Is it three? Yeah. Four? I, I, I think it's three. Uh, unless okay. unless they're doing some really unique things, like if, if each of them are walking to a separate rhythm or two are walking to a rhythm and one is jumping up and down. Right. Um, right. You know, but if it's just three people walking, if you get the general cadence and speed right, it, you're not going to be able to. I mean, if if you are paying that close attention to say, oh, I hear a footfall and none of those three people had a footstep at that point, then there's something wrong with your scene. So it's not really fully, yeah. can't really fix that for you. Gotcha. <laughs> what was your, one of the most memorable scenes you had working on Fully Wise in this movie and why? Hmm. Well, I think the thing that probably left the biggest impression with me was the chief of police of Malibu. Why is that? Um, you know, I, I, I've been working in, I mean, I went to film school. I thought, certainly thought about film a lot before I got to the point that I was working on The Big Lebowski, but I hadn't really learned anything new about picture editing and comedic timing until I got to that scene. Um, because, well, first of all, normally the goal when I'm doing my job is to be working with picture that has been locked, that they've they finished shooting everything and they finished cutting the picture. So it's, it's all in place and it's not going to move anymore. And that's when we call it a lock. And, and that's always the goal, but it, it rarely happens. Um, but the Con brothers were usually very good about it. They, you know, they always knew what they wanted and they always shot what they needed. And so there weren't too many changes, but I think the major thing that changed in the big Lebowski was that scene. And in particular, the pause um, between the police chief's uh, speech about don't like your, your gold brick in name, right, don't like your gold brick in face. Right. And um, the, so the pause between that and the dude saying, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening, um, which is, you know, <laughs> however long it, it is when it when we started, it was shorter and it was hysterical the first time I saw it. And then, you know, he throws the mug and I. Put, you know, sync up the sound of the mug hitting the dude's forehead. And when you're cutting Foley, you're, it's a very myopic exercise and you're dealing with very tiny details and you're playing them over and over. And is the sync right? Is it funnier if it's a little bit earlier or a little bit later? You know, how, do, how does it read? How does it, the rhythm of the sound fall into the next sound that happens? You know, his fall is kind of an off-screen thing. So how does the timing of the two things together work? And so I watched it a lot. And, uh, and it was funny. And, and then we got a picture change note and it was for that scene and the pause between the end of the speech. And I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. Got like 10 frames longer, just 10, 
like, you know, half a second, less than half a second. And I was like, oh my God, that would have wasted time. And I put it in and it was funnier. Because then you had to redo all of the work you did. Well, I just, just had to... Just for 10 I, frames, yeah. less than half a but second. But, you know, whatever. I just pick everything up and yeah, I move right. it 10 frames. But, you know, I mean, just the um, the amount of time it takes to make a decision at that point in the process to change picture, you know, you don't just change the picture and automatically we get an update. The picture assistant has to download a whole new version of the reel and the information has to go to the negative cutter because they're, you know, they might be working on the color correcting at that point. Oh, and, my I mean, it's just this really, it's a hassle. And, and you're like, are we splitting hairs here? Yeah, totally thought we might be splitting some hairs, and it, and we weren't. It was it was funnier. And then I think they changed it maybe one or even two times after that. And uh, I think once longer and then again shorter. And it was just kind of a timing that was involved with how long does Jeff Bridges sit there before he blinks? You know, do we get rid of the blink entirely? Is there a blink and then a pause? And then he says it. And... It was always funnier every time. Every time they did it, it got funnier, and, and every time they did it, I was like, "Okay, now we're done. Like it can't possibly get better," but it always did. Which is amazing because you know, on you know the other side, Joel is sitting with his wife. I guess it's Joel and his wife, Trisha, and his wife, Trisha. Yeah, they're sitting in a room like cutting frames out of this one scene, like hyper focusing mm-hmm. so much on that little like. And I'm watching this minute now. I'm at that scene. I think he's there for a, almost two seconds. Uh-huh. And just the, well, I guess there's 48 different opportunities for comedy there <laughs> yeah. and honing in on just the right amount. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's the, you know, the, I think the thing that we've discussed and, you know, kind of almost ad nauseum at this point over the last three years as we've been recording this is again looking at some of these details and really just kind of marveling at some of the decisions Mm -hmm. or really the the kind of like again this attention to detail Mm -hmm. that has to go on in filmmaking and like you said the myopic um kind of exercise of even just looking at like the you know the the tinkles of ice in a glass right and you can totally by just changing things a couple of frames have a huge impact. Yeah. Yeah, we've had a lot of discussions about ice tinkles over the life of this podcast. <laughs> oh, that's well, nice. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Know, well, did you ever imagine? That was mostly me, yeah. Just, yeah. Did you ever imagine when you were doing this that um, 17 years later, two guys would go through all of your tinkles? <laughs> like, well, when so you put closely. it that way, Brad. <laughs> No. Not to be creepy, but we're going through all your tinkles. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you have to remember, I think when Big Lebowski came out, um, podcasts probably didn't weren't really a thing. Like I, I yeah, vaguely no, remember I, iPods I, being a thing think, around that time, but I don't I think they called it radio back then. Yeah. And the idea yeah, I don't of think like, there was, you know, yeah. Any any two schmoes just watching a movie and breaking it down this way and, and finding, you know, a way to distribute it. No, I never thought that would happen. <laughs> it's insane, really. It is insane. We're not necessarily too proud of it. Um, <laughs> but they can't stop us, damn it. That's the thing, they can't stop you. I did want to say, since we were on the subject of picture editing and timing, if you guys um, have ever heard of Walter Murch, he's, um, he's a picture editor and a sound designer. He worked on uh, Apocalypse Now. 
And oh, the, the helicopters in the beginning, right? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, that was Richard Beggs that did the um, okay, the helicopter okay. rotor blades. But no, um, Merch kind of coined the phrase "sound designer." Huh. Um, he was a, he's a contemporary of uh, George Lucas and um, uh, Steven Spielberg and uh, and Francis Ford Coppola, and he worked on a lot of Coppola stuff. He wrote a book called "In the Blink of an Eye," which is just about like how our brains process visual editorial information. And it's really fascinating. It's not a big book. It's, you know, very easy to read. And, uh, but I highly recommend it. It's very interesting. It's called in the blink of an eye. Yeah. Yeah. I I have it up here. We'll put a, we'll put a link to that in our, in our show notes. Cool. (laughs) Cool. For the listeners to check it out. Yeah. And I want to, uh, yeah, I'm actually really fascinated by this too. I'm going to check this out. Me too. Um, I've got another question for you. Okay. We had a little back and forth pre-pro. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a meal with the part of the crew? Oh. Part of the post crew? Yeah. Do you yeah. want to get into that? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, yeah. Um, the Cohen brothers, every, you know, every director or directing couple group is, um, is different. And um, I just, first of all, they're just really great guys to work with and work for because they really appreciate sound and they're not, um, they're not inaccessible. You know, they're, they're just good people. So did you meet them working on this? I did. Yeah, I did meet them. It wasn't like we hung out or got drinks or, you know, we're not buds or anything, but you know, there, there are some directors that I've worked for that I've never met, and there are some that I met once, and they were just sort of dismissive, and these guys were not either of those cases. They were just really, um, really nice guys and really fun, and um, my first hint that that's how they would be was when I first started The Big Lebowski, which was, um, it was the first kind of big-budget movie that I worked on, and I was working at a facility that I it was the first job I had at this facility and I really want to make a good first impression. And I was being very, you know, serious and focused on my work and trying to, you know, be the best Foley editor I could be. And uh, I think on the second day of the job, uh, one of the assistants knocked on my door and came in with a contract and they said, you know, you need to read this and sign it and return it to me. And I said, what is it? And he said, just, just read it. And he left and he left me with this document that was, I don't remember how many pages, but it was like a legally binding document. And what it was, I don't even know how to explain this. (laughs) The Coen brothers had started, I don't, I don't even know which movie, if it was all the way back at Blood Simple or, you know, just a couple movies later, they started having a little um, tradition of taking the sound, the post-production sound crew out for a steak dinner on the last day on, of the sound mix. So when the, when the mix was done, which is sort of like the last creative element that can be worked on after, after that, you're pretty much making copies of things and distributing it. When the mix was done, the Coen brothers and, you know, whoever was around in the picture department and the, the sound crew went out to a, a steakhouse in New York and, and were treated to dinner on the Coen brothers. And uh, this went on for several productions. And at some point, and I think it was a Hudsucker Proxy steak dinner, um, as it was told to me, 
one of the Coen brothers was talking to one of the sound editors and somehow the topic of porridge came up. Porridge? Porridge. How do you know? Like three little bears? Exactly. Porridge. Breakfast food. And um, the sound editor said that he had never had porridge and whichever Cohen it was thought it was terrible that a grown man should, you know, live a complete life and not know what porridge was. And so from that point forward, there became rules to the steak dinner. And the rule was you could not attend the steak dinner on the last day of the mix unless you attended a porridge breakfast on the first day of the mix. (laughs) And so what I was given was a contract (laughs) explaining to me the terms and conditions under which I could attend the steak dinner. And uh, it was a list. There was a, there was a frequently asked question section. Um, I wish to God I had thought to duplicate it. I was afraid to, you know, take anything that wasn't my property because I didn't want to get in trouble, but I wish I had. Oh, my goodness. It was hysterical. And it was like, you know, the frequently asked questions were something, you know, question, if I'm not available on the, the morning of the porridge breakfast, may I eat the porridge later in order to, and the answer was, as long as you eat the porridge before the steak dinner, um, witnessed by one of the Coen brothers or or somebody assigned by them to witness your eating the porridge. Um, a duly appointed representative. Yeah, a duly appointed representative. <laughs> um, you needed to, you know, submit a picture of you and the porridge and the New York Times from that date to prove that that was when you ate it. Um, one, I remember one of the FAQ questions was... Uh, can I have somebody else eat the porridge for me by proxy? And <laughs> answer, no, you may not. Um, it was just the detail that was put into this thing. It was hysterical. So I signed it. And, and then uh, as a result, I ended up having three porridge breakfasts and three steak dinners with the Coen brothers through the course of the three movies that I worked on. Can I ask you something? I guess. I guess if I have to. <laughs> um, what's porridge? Exactly. Well, I've I've had cream of wheat. Yeah, I've had I, oatmeal. What's porridge? That's what I was thinking too. I'm in this category of grown man that's never had porridge. I'm I don't not, think I'm I've ever sure had that porridge it's either. True. I think that it's um. Is it way, grits? I'm, like what is it? It's so similar to grits and oatmeal. There's oh, I'm looking it up on on Wikipedia now to make sure. Like, was well, like that part of the FAQ? Like, if I eat cream of wheat or grits, does that count in place of porridge? Like, would they have found that acceptable? No, no. Is the it thing close is, enough? I, I think that the problem that they had with that guy saying he'd never had porridge was that he didn't realize that porridge was something he had. It just had a different name. Okay. Okay. Um. So according to Wikipedia, alternative name for porridge is oatmeal. Oh, well, there you go. But that, that in itself, that is oat porridge. There are other types of porridge, which could be rice, wheat, barley, corn, buckwheat. So basically, all of those things that you were thinking might be porridge are porridge. Like porridge is porridge the is the genus. umbrella. Gotcha. <laughs> um, grits, the polenta, oatmeal, those are all the species. Perfect. Okay. Brad, it didn't take us too long to even get Jen to just start wikipedia and Googling shit. <laughs> right, right. This is usually how our podcasts go. It's like we're a bunch of amateurs and we end up just like wikipedia everything. Yeah. It's like, I don't know but what see, I'm talking again, about. No, but Jen, see, Jen's a professional because she was able to wikipedia that and, and roll it right in. She didn't have like the 30-second <laughs> pause of just hearing us type on the computer looking stuff up. Do you know yet? No, I don't know what I'm... What? Yeah. Well, that's why you're the professional. 
That, um, that must speaking be of which, mm-hmm. as a professional, I want to talk about stereo sweeteners for tires on dirt. Oh, boy. Leading up to hitting the telephone pole. And this is when the dude gets out of the doctor's office. He's driving. He's drinking a beer. He's smoking a little marijuana cigarette. Listening to Credence. Listening to some Credence. Dude, dude, dude. And, you know, flicks it out, but it doesn't go out. Lands in his lap. Mm-hmm. And um, you did some work on this scene. I did that whole sequence, yeah. You indicated you were particularly proud of one effect in particular, that being the bottle slide on the steering wheel. Oh, Why? yeah. Well, I mean, mostly I was proud because it was one of the few things that I took out of the Foley stage and recorded um, on location, I guess you would call it. Um you know, there, there are a lot of things that prop-wise you can replicate in a, in a Foley stage, but the sound of a closed-up car and a bottle kind of rolling on the, the ridges of a steering wheel, and that's such a, I don't know, it's a particular thing. You can fake it, but you can tell, I think, that it's fake. Um, so I, that's actually my steering wheel in my car, my Mazda 626 at the time. Um, so you went... So- you- Went and recorded that yourself? Yeah, yeah. I took a little a, a little recorder, a little portable disc recorder, a mini disc recorder actually. It was a terrible um a terrible recording. Like <laughs> just, you know, mini discs never really caught on for a reason. Um but this was when it was kind of a new technology and I was like, Wow, this is so great. I don't need to take a whole Nagra or a giant, you know, right. DAT player out and record and I can just take this little thing and, and it was, it served its purpose um, perfectly. Well, and before was, you continue, why was it terrible? Is it like some kind of digital compression? Yeah. Like, yeah. It was digital compression. It's... it was like maybe 16 bits at best. Um, uh, you know, essentially recording an MP3, like the lowest quality MP3 you can record. It's a very thin, brittle sound gotcha. all by itself. But you know, with the music and him screeching and all the other sounds, it was, it was in there just nice, just the sound of that glass hitting the steering wheel and that kind of bumpy, ridgy thing that it does when he kind of slides it off the steering wheel. It was just a nice, just a nice little thing. Now, technically, you were out of your element doing that. Technically, yeah. Did you get any grief for that or did, did no. anybody notice? Or? No, it's not like, um, you know... It's not like our union is like, you know, I can't touch any sound effects or no sound effects uh, editors can touch any Foley. We just sort of, you you split things up into categories to prevent duplicating things. So, you know, sound effects editors know what is generally the purview of Foley and so they don't go around trying to replace footsteps unless there's something really special about them. And then they talk to the Foley people and say, hey, what about these footsteps? What are you going to do? Um, we were thinking of recording some. Do you want to be in on that? Or should we do it? Or do you want to do it for us? Or, like, you know, we just kind of, it's a cross-communication thing. And that was one of the few things that was sort of not a Foley, but sort of could be, and uh, that I took care of. So nobody felt like they got their toe stepped on or possibly cut off? No, nah, no. Nah, nothing well, like that. good. All right, good. Well, Nice was there like an original Foley for that sound that just like didn't cut it? It sounded too fake. 
I don't remember there being fully for it. You know, there are some things. Our fully artist was uh, Marco Costanzo, a really, really talented guy. Um, did all of the Coen Brothers movies, I believe, probably from Blood Simple. Um, he would have come to us, I would think, and said, you know, look, I don't have what you're looking for for that. You know, he wouldn't if if you cued something for him and he knew that he couldn't give you what you wanted, he wouldn't mm-hmm. waste everybody's time. He would just say, that's not going to happen here. You should get that someplace else. Hmm. So you were able to kind of not get away with it, but it was able to that particular sound effect of the bottle was able to blend in with the scene because there was other stuff going on. But you wouldn't have necessarily used that mini disc player to record, say, the mug hitting the dude's forehead if oh, that's God, the no. only thing we're hearing no mm-mm. so as a piece of texture that was able to work in there yeah yeah and but, you just had a sense that that would work uh yeah yeah i mean the thing is it, you want to film the sound really good and you know everybody gets all excited about their blu-rays and their you know their 24 bit and their you know 96k and whatever but the the fact is that not everything has to be recorded at the highest possible quality it's it's about how everything fits together, and a lot of times getting the right energy in a performance, it, not just dialogue, but, you know, Foley or a car door slam or whatever. I mean, you know, we can record car door slams inside a, a Foley stage if you pull a car in and record it, but cars don't live inside soundproof rooms, and so you slam a door in a soundproof room, and it doesn't have a lot of energy behind it. But you go outside, and you slam it on a street, and you have the, you know, the reverberance kind of the echo from the walls of buildings that are nearby and, and just the air and it, it yeah. changes. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a right way to record uh, to capture every sound. And sometimes that's, that involves recording at the cleanest possible. And sometimes it, it involves recording it the best you can in the environment that it needs to be in. It's really tricky to if not impossible to reproduce that kind of presence that you would get closing a car door like outside on a city street if you recorded that on a sound stage yeah there's only so much like sound magic you can do to something to recreate that atmosphere there isn't there isn't i mean in 1995 when we were working on this there there wasn't as many uh there weren't as many opportunities to kind of cheat those things but there are technology has gotten so much better with um the plugins that you can use to um uh basically put a sound in any kind of spatial environment that you want to Hmm. um but again that's such a waste of time you know you you can you can go around um you can go record everything in this completely pristine environment and then spend all of this time putting the sounds in different virtual locations, or you could just go outside and record a car door, you know? (laughs) Right. Why didn't the uh, slow motion tongue licking make it into the final cut, Jen? (laughs) The slow motion. Well, for, for those who were talking about the Jesus here, the Jesus, the, uh, (laughs) the hotel California was too loud. You know, when so we just we don't always know when we're working on on our part of it, what the music is going to be doing. And even though we knew the Hotel California was going to be in there, because obviously, you know, the picture is so cut to the music in that section. Oh, yeah. yeah. We were thinking that maybe it was going to start off as more of a justified 
source kind of a thing. Like it's just the song that's playing in the bowling alley and that we would be hearing more of the foreground things. So we, we covered this bowling ball lick for Jesus and it was, um, it was beautiful, but that's not how the music was being played. So it, you know, to have the music that loud and then just, you know, if you think about what, what qualities of the sound are the loudest, if a, if it's a lick, it's these really high frequency kind of clicky things. And uh, it would just sound like there was something wrong with the song. It wouldn't sound like it was necessarily what it was supposed to be. It would sound like something distorting or peeking out, maybe. Right. Yeah, I'm just imagining, the uh, you know, having that bowling ball lick sound. And, like, it's just magnificent, (laughs) right? Like, just kind of, like, wet, yet, like, cold. And, like, yeah, the the, the sound of the mouth... might be a little stick, like it might stick I would, just a bit. Yeah, I'm really missing. I it. love. I I'm, yeah, <laughs> I it's such a horrible cut. thing. Like you need a, you know, again, Blu-ray alternate version. Turn down the music. <laughs> Let's hear all the Foley editing for that scene that we never got to hear. I don't think it I even mean, got mixed in. So, I mean, end of the day, they made the right choice, I think, because that is one of the most glorious scenes, and the music comes full. And, you know, he's doing, he's pulling his socks up and mm-hmm. licking. It's all, it's all gold, but there is a part of me that really wants to see the alternate mix with this, uh, <laughs> stereo. Well, I think there's lick. a part of us all that just wants to be there, right? We just want to be able to inhabit that bowling alley <laughs> oh, at that yeah. time. I mean, when we were working on this movie, there was a period of months that the, the crew would go to, um, there's a bowling alley in New York city called Bullmore lanes down in the village. And we would go every week and we would bowl and we would order white Russians. Awesome. But, now did you order white Russians or Caucasians? Well, I think we had to order white Russians because nobody knew what a Caucasian they did, was. <laughs> they didn't know what that was yet. Yeah. It wasn't the preferred nomenclature. It was not at the, the preferred time. nomenclature at the time. We called it, you know, amongst ourselves, we called right. it Caucasian, but we didn't share. So that. this, this was shot in L.A., mm-hmm. and you were in New York, so they brought some of the post back to New York, I guess. They brought all the post back to New York, I All believe. of it? Yeah. There was, huh. you know, I, I I think it was after The Man Who Wasn't There that the Coen brothers started to work primarily in Los Angeles. Um, and I think that they probably had houses on both coasts before that, but they were kind of centered in New York up until that point, so... Wherever they went to shoot, they would come back to New York to cut picture and do the sound work. Mm. But um, sometime after, I'm trying to remember my my internal timeline is a little messed up because I kind of parted ways from that studio around the time or after or before this happened. But the um, the sound designer and supervising sound editor who works with the Coen brothers, Skip Leavesa, he was one of the owners of the facility that we worked at, C5, and he left and moved to, to Los Angeles and works at Warner Brothers now. And I can't remember what the first movie was um, that they all were kind of Los Angeles-centric. And even even after that, I should say that they still send stuff to New York. Like, I think C5 still has involvement with the soundtracks, but... But Skip is in Los Angeles, or he'll go back for, for the sound mix for the Coen Brothers movies, or he goes back and forth. But but yeah, they were they were primarily New York up until then. They seem like more 
kind of an Eastern thing, more of an East Coast thing. <laughs> but I guess they're L.A. now. Yeah, I guess. At least geographically speaking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they were, they, were, they were raised in the Midwest, so. Right. Yeah, they were. Do you know now, you said that you worked on, I guess one of the reels you worked on was the um, spreading Donnie's ashes up to the end. Mm-hmm. Now, this is more of an effect, but I don't know if maybe you talked to anybody who had something to do with it. But as we transition into the bowling alley, uh, the camera is, I guess, dollying along, pointing straight down at the, the uh, one of the lanes, mm-hmm. moving along. And a bowling ball flies through from behind us to in front of us, and the camera tilts up, and we see it, and it gets a strike. They put a little, I guess you'd call it a sweetener mm-hmm. on it, and it sounds like it goes from left to right, a little slicey, like sling, like a little mm. shiny. So there's the sound effect, mm-hmm. foley, or maybe it, that's an effect too, of like a whoosh when the ball goes past, but there's a very like high-pitched kind of slice. I don't know if you ever noticed that or if you had any insight about that. Uh, I don't have any insight about it. I... I think I know the sound you're talking about, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm familiar with it. We, but we accept outright conjecture, also. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. I don't really have any conjecture. I'm trying to remember um, who else was on the crew. Um, well, put the word out for us if you can. Uh, you know, get a little little feedback. That'd be cool. <laughs> but the the how about the um, ashes spreading scene? Uh huh. Um, you did some work on the coffee can, yeah, and and in particular the lid, yeah, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, not much to talk about. You know? There it is. You had it, and you put it in there. Re- End of story. They record this uh, coffee can and <laughs> and peeling the lid off, and I put it in sync and made sure it matched the action, and there it was. You mentioned that you had to sometimes though take multiple takes and kind of layer them. Oh yeah, that wasn't sure. that wasn't one of them i guess no i don't think it was i think i think that was pretty uh cut and dry pretty straightforward what what was a scene where you had to do some layering Hmm. and like when would be not necessarily in this but when would be an example of a time that that would be necessary it seems like here's the sound it's right Mm. edited well, in there yeah like, that's no. what kind of like maybe take a step back mm-hmm. like what what do you guys mean you're talking about layering what what is what is what do you mean by that well okay so you take an event that would be covered in foley like for example pouring a white russian um now that's a human scale sound effect because everything that's involved in it you know there's no machinery there's no explosives it's all these little movements because we see the dude doing it on camera but you're not necessarily going to record the entire action of picking up the milk container, shaking it, opening it, sniffing it, closing it, you know, or not closing it because you haven't poured yet, but pouring it, the liquid hitting the ice, the ice tinkling, picking up the glass, swishing the glass around. If you try to record all of those things in one action, you're going to be recording a long time to get all of that right. So you're going to break it down into elements and you're going to say element one is picking up and putting down the milk carton. So you're just going to watch the milk carton and pick up your prop milk carton and do your milk carton handling. And then you're going to do another pass where you're opening and closing the milk carton because you want to get that sound specifically right and close to the performance sync. 
Um, then you're going to, you know, do another one where you're actually going to put liquid in a, in a carton like container and you're going to slosh it around and do a pass of every time the milk carton is being moved to just you're, you're going to kind of change the miking for each one of those things as well, because you want the focus of of that to be a little different for each element. And, uh, you know, and then another pass for liquid hitting ice, another pass for just the, the ice moving around in the glass, another pass for picking up the glass and handling it and putting it down. You know, you could you could have five or six different tracks of dude pours milk into a, a Caucasian. That's that's fascinating. Um, <laughs> is it really? <laughs> no, it actually it, really it, is. Let me tell you, it's uh, kind of boring to do all day. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. You yeah. Get- Sick well, of it after yeah, I mean, again, the amount of details that go into making something like this, like when you're watching a, a movie or a TV show and it's just like, oh, yeah, this this character came in and made a drink like they just recorded him doing it. Mm-hmm. They say cut. It's done. But no, like each individual action, the ice, the the liquid, the footsteps is like a whole you know, separate unit. It's a separate production for each of those things and have to be assembled. Um, you know, and I remember as a kid kind of like coming to terms with that and almost feeling like disappointed in a way, mm-hmm. like kind of in awe of it, but also disappointed. Cause it's like, I realized just like the artifice of everything, I guess, or the fact that like, I wanted to imagine like watching star Trek that like, even though I knew it was a show, like some of that stuff actually kind of transpired, at least on a set. Uh huh. But the fact that, you know, like each reaction shot was just shot like at a completely different time, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're using one camera. I don't know. It was just, it's something, uh, I, I just remember that pretty clearly. And then, you know, now to even get into this, 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 the deep, the minute details of this sound, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's just kind of, um, well, it was originally kind of uh, disappointing in a way to me, just because I'm kind of strange. And no, it was definitely not, around Star a lot Trek. Of, a lot of people get annoyed, actually, when they find out that it's not no, all he's real. strange. Yeah, yeah. But now I'm just, again, like just in such awe of all the work that goes into this, right? And just in producing anything, right? It, it's similar because, you know, again, you're talking about the whole... You know, all these different tasks that have to happen and different people. You have Foley artists, but then there's also sound designers and the Foley editor. And you have a, you know, a team of Foley editors mm-hmm. and probably a team of all those different types of people. Like, you know, and to assemble this film, it's like it is assembling a very complex project yeah. or a very complex product. Like it is like, you know, you're you're building a an airplane or a ship like, mm-hmm. you, you know, there's it's just seems like you know the logistics involved would is um could be rather frightful it's very frightful. involved yeah it's i don't know about frightful but it is uh it's time consuming and complicated and it's definitely a team effort um one thing that is interesting though is that you know you, you said about how thinking about how in tv that all of these different shots like on star trek are constructed separately the thing that happens with TV versus movies is because there's less time there, there's two things. First, there's less attention to detail paid in the sound. So we might not cover that level of detail for, uh, you know, if the dude was a, was a TV show and not a, a movie character. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know if his white Russians would, would have sounded as good as they do. Um, there might just be a little glass tinkle and, and uh, whatever 
the mics on production might have picked up of of the pouring would be all there is. That'd be um, shameful to have shitty tinkles. Yeah, I know, I know. But, you know, it, it's not a show, so it's okay. But the other thing that happens with TV is um, a lot of times, at least the TV that I've worked on, there are multiple cameras shooting. So sometimes those responses are genuinely happening in real time and you're just cutting from mm-hmm. one camera to another because um, you don't have think, time to set up so many cameras, you know. I think you right. just restored a little bit of brad's childhood wonder oh good yeah kind of i mean so <laughs> Maybe not. i'll tell you well i mean if we really want to, okay so it's not an episode of gutter balls if we do not derail into a digression about star trek here we truly. go truly so we, here's our chance to do that fine um i'll try to keep us somewhat anchored but yeah well i i will just add that part of this realization was i was watching some behind the scenes and they discussed the fact that star trek this was star trek the next generation uh-huh. um was actually a one camera production ah. film style. So yeah. it was like it, it was being shot with that level of quality. And then again, and, and again, you know, it was like some behind the scenes and they're trying to like, you know, pimp how great they are. They were saying like, Oh yeah, we only use one camera because this is like a motion picture and this is like high quality, mm. blah, blah, blah. This is a one camera production. This isn't like your TV show. So anyway, but yeah, strange memories locked in my head that sometimes just come out. I don't know. <laughs> Well, you know, that show was pretty kick-ass back in the day. It was. I gotta say, they, you know, they paid attention to things. What else we got here? I I got a couple, just not too much more. But since you mentioned you did the last reel, and that goes from Donnie's Ashes to the end, there's a goose that honks as Walter's spreading the ashes. And I have to think, so here's why I'm kind of, perplexed about this Mm. because number one i wouldn't think they're on a cliff Mm -hmm. there's wind blowing everywhere i would think any of the wild track or nat sound whatever you want to call it would be unusable Mm -hmm. i imagine they looped Mm -hmm. or re-recorded all the dialogue Mm -hmm. they put any sound effects in there you edited them into the show Mm -hmm. and yet there's a goose we don't see a goose but you hear i remember a goose it's at one hour, 47 minutes, and 30 seconds. Well, I wish you told me that sooner. I would... Ah, I forgot. Get it out right and listen now. to it, but... Um, well, you, you can do it later. Email us a response, even, because I want to know about this goose. Get your people on it. Yeah. Because... We'll, now you we'll can see shifts on that one, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can see some seagulls flying around, but that's not a goose. Hi, I now, really the migratory, have no recollection of a are goose. You, but are you are you sure, Adam, you'd be able to tell the difference between a seagull and a goose? Brad. Brad, please. Yes. Please. Because I don't know if I could You discern. know the difference between... Well, you know what? I was just about to say you know that, but you <laughs> sometimes think pigeons are two inches tall also, so never yeah, mind. Yes, enough. I know the difference between a goose and a seagull. There are seagulls... I mean, that seems like you're splitting hairs. There's a big difference between a seagull screech and a goose honk. I think there's a, a difference, but they also kind of converge in the middle. There's a, there's a big middle ground where you're Sometimes not as sure. the things you say are completely erroneous. I don't, I'm leaning towards Brad on this one. I think, I think seagulls make more sounds than you think they make. I'm going to put together a little <laughs> documentary. It'll have copious examples of seagulls and it's not a bad goose. idea 
We can do, do another hundred episodes. Seagulls versus Seagulls geese sounds. Versus geese. Seagulls That'll the be same. the next podcast. The world round. <laughs> yeah, there's a goose. I'm just telling you. There's a damn goose back there, but there's seagulls and geese. None of that was probably recorded out on this windy cliff, though. I don't, that, I don't think so. Point. I can't really remember the production sound, except that it was really bad. There was a lot yeah, of Yeah, it had to be terrible. It's terribly windy. Yeah. And you can even see, you can see uh, Jeff Bridges' microphone cable at one point. Oh, I missed that. I thought I saw one really? when he was you bracing. Heard the goose, but you missed the big black cable going down his belly. Yes. Oh, what is this when uh, after they scatter them? And he yeah, lifts he's his... kind of fighting okay. Walter off and the wind blows his shirt up a little and you can see the, the cable. It's kind of like, why would they bother putting wireless microphones on these actors knowing that they're not going to be able to use any of it? Well, they just have to have the something to, to do the ADR against. But just boom it, you know? You no, can that would be completely enough. unusable. It was a wide shot. It was really windy. It was bright sun. You couldn't. Couldn't mic from overhead because you get shadows and True. you'd have to be where, you know, floating in the air off of the cliff to be out of the shot. Yeah, I guess they're too wide on this. Yeah. Wow, do I see that? I think I see it. I'm there right now. Yep, I got it. Thank you. That is beautiful. There it is. Not, yeah. Oh, love it. It's going down his left side. Mm-hmm. Kind of where the brown stripe is on his shirt. Mm-hmm. You can see it angling up. Yeah, I thought I caught one underneath a shirt uh, in the Defino scene, but I couldn't be sure. Mm, I don't remember that one, but it was when I'm working. Um, most of the times that I've seen the the movie were on a monitor at work, um, which is pretty good resolution, but it's a little darker than normal. So a lot of dark scenes, I don't see all the detail. What about the, the when the ashes go in the dude's face? Mm-hmm. There is this fine, like sort of sifting sand sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that was Foley. At least we did an element for it. I'm not sure if what ended up in the mix was purely us or a combination of us and sound effects or or what. So probably a mixture of both. Probably. All right. Well, one more thing. The desk pound. You yeah. mentioned in particular, Walter pounds the desk of Francis Donnelly. Do you remember what elements you had to edit together to make that sound legit it's in a pretty big space yeah uh but it's a particular desk it's heavy it's wooden what what went into making that sound legit well i think a lot of the weight of it was the actual production sound of john goodman pounding on that desk wow it's a it's a pretty good sound um and i think in foley we probably you know for for a percussive sound like that it's really hard in one recording to kind of get the um the energy, all the energy of a sound like that. So what's generally done is you might do uh, one pass that's more of a, of a high-end hit, which, I mean, these would all be sounds against a desk in some fashion, but one that would be more like a, you know, like a, like a hand clap, sort of a frequency, like a higher, slappier hand on yeah, desk. Yeah, kind of snappy. Yeah, and then, yeah. and then another one that would be sort of a, a deeper hit. And when you put those elements together... Or the more elements like that you put together, the kind of the fuller the sound is. But I think that a lot of that was the um, was the actual production sound. And then we would we we sweeten things like that with like kind of the objects on the desk rattling to kind of give the effects. Because right. some, sometimes just you know the actual sound of an impact isn't isn't what's so impressive about it. Is is knowing that you know 
he hits a desk and he hits it loud and you can make it really loud, but it's not going to be as impressive as if he doesn't hit it as loud. And yet the things rattle on the desk. Like, you know, wow, he really made an impression on that desk. Pens are rolling around. Lamps are shifting. Yeah. There's a similar moment when the dude goes to see the Big Lebowski the first time. <laughs> and the Big Lebowski says, my wife and pounds his desk is not the issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you kind of hear things rattling around. Yeah, I worked on that scene, too. So you edited some of those like pen rattles and little. Yeah. Yeah. Effects into there. Awesome. I mostly remember from that scene, just like Jeff Bridges has all of these fidgety things that he does with his fingers through the whole scene. And to have to kind of, you know, sync up that, that finger movement noise was really annoying. Yeah. Cause there's probably smoother ones and more scrapey ones. And to know which is appropriate must be. So you were saying earlier, it got tedious. I could imagine that getting pretty tedious if you spend a week with Jeff Bridges' fingers. <laughs> yeah. Not that he's not great. He's, uh, yeah, me. but anybody's fingers for a week gets pretty tedious. <laughs> but no, it doesn't. I mean, it's not like a week for me like that. You know, cutting cutting an element like that would probably be a couple hours of my day. But still, it's <laughs> you know how how many <laughs> ways can he's like you know you you watch the action and it's like there's a finger and he's he's got these shorts on so it's like. A finger running on on his leg, so it's you know kind of the sound of his leg hairs and the skin on skin, and it's like, well, it's like it's the right sound, but there's something wrong about the sink, and it's just such a little thing. And part of the problem is that it's just I don't know that I would even hear it if I was in the room, but I have to hear it now because it's been recorded, and we can decide in the mix whether or not we want to hear it or how loud we want to hear it. And to just try to, you know, maybe it's a little late, maybe it's a little too short, maybe it's a little too long, and it's just, oh, it's so annoying. You're out on the street, you're flagging people down, saying, hey, can you hike your shorts up and rub your thigh? You're getting arrested, yeah. going to jail, you know? The things it I all did adds for this up. job, it's really, yeah. Impact sweeteners for bullets hitting the car? Oh, yeah. What yeah. were those? Uh, when the ringer was thrown out and, uh, Walter, uh, rolls out with his Uzi and the Uzi hits the ground and starts firing. Spinning around, firing yeah, off Yeah, spinning around, just firing at will. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what Marco recorded, but yeah, I had, I had elements. I had like percussive metal, sharp metal hits to uh to kind of put in with the bullet hits to to sweeten those and uh you know when it hits the uh the headlight the kind of the glass shatter on that i did all of the all of the hits for um the corvette uh walter attacking the corvette right so all the, the headlight smashes for that and the and the windshield and the yeah a lot of percussive hits so same kind of deal like you have some high elements, yeah. some lower elements. Exactly. Did you mix any of the uh, on-set recorded? Well, the on-set recordings, you know, because they weren't real bullets. I think on-set was more of was more of a guide track for everybody. I think on-set pretty much got replaced for the bullets for the for the production for the Corvette attack. Yeah, I think that a lot that the Corvette probably was a mixture of production and uh, and our stuff. Awesome. Um, 
I mean, I could go on for three more hours, but uh, <laughs> we're probably out of time. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. This has been incredible. Right on. Well, thank yeah. you. Uh, thank well, you. Can't thank you enough. Um, you know, it's not probably how you'd prefer to spend your Sunday afternoon, but again. But again, I mean, we've spent the last three years going through this. So to have someone who is there in the trenches among all this is just, you know, it's just it's hard to say, like, you know, how big of a deal this is for us and how awesome it is. It's so a huge, thanks so much. It's a I'm huge sure. deal. I've been telling my family I've been like giddy as a schoolboy dancing around um, <laughs> telling everybody I meet. So it's been really, really great. Wow. Well. You know, you guys are, it's amazing. Three years. That's, that's dedication. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I We're guess. nothing if not, I guess, persistent. Well, <laughs> Stubbornly so. What, what are you going to, I got to ask, what are you going to do when you're done? Just curl up in the corner and die. <laughs> you know, what point is there going on? That was the whole this? reason to be, huh? Yeah. Oh, I, think, I think that's it. I don't know yet, to be honest with you. I don't know if we have our next move figured out. Yeah, we're working on it. Um, you know, we have a uh, yeah, we have a handful of minutes left. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a next move, but we're still working out the details there, and uh, we're gonna surprise everyone <laughs> once we're ready. <laughs> Spring it. Okay, cool. Um, you know, I so since you still have some time in the movie left. I, I just wanted to make sure that you knew that the last Foley in the movie is the stranger sliding his finger on the brim of his hat. That is the last Foley. That is the last Foley. Because I rewatched this. You had mentioned that, and I see they had uh, Mr. Bowling Expert in the background, mm -hmm. and we don't hear any of his footsteps. No, too far in the background. Right, but we do hear the ball hit the lane mm -hmm. and then smash the pins but that was production sound that was sound effects we can't replicate sound that effects. in the, we don't right. have a that's, bowling alley in our foley stage unfortunately it's not human scale that's right so the last foley was the stranger sliding his fingers doing that little hat maneuver mm -hmm. and was that just one or was that more layering no i believe that was just one so it's getting the timing right yeah, just getting the right performance and cutting it in the right way. Well, beautiful. Thanks again. Sure. Um, it has been fantastic. So that was our very special episode 110A, where we did not discuss the minute. Not that that's anything too out of the ordinary. But thanks again, Jen, for showing us exactly... How amateurish we are. And uh, hey, gutterballs.tv slash support. Get yourself a damn t-shirt. It's all right. If they suck, we'll just throw them off the poop deck. Next time on Gutterballs. Hey, man. How do you do, dude? I wonder if I see you again. 